listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. You went you asked everybody in Paragool, hey, are you a Christian? Uh, are you saved? We think probably 99% of people will be like, yes, we are Christians. Yes, we are saved. But if you went up and you polled the same group of people and you asked them, hey, do you enjoy God? Like, do you have a personal, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe? Um, there are probably very few that would say yes. And we believe the reason that is is because most people do not know the real Jesus. They have settled for a counterfeit Jesus, a Jesus maybe they were sold on by a Sunday school teacher or a parent, or they just kind of invented in their own head. And so we're in this series where we are being reminded that the real Jesus is way better than any Jesus that we could create in our heads. The real Jesus of the Bible, he is alive, he is life-transforming. And what we'll learn today, one of the greatest truths about the real Jesus is he wants us, he wants you to have a real, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Okay, So Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. It's on page 811 if you have an ESV Bible. We're going to be reading in verses 9 through verse 13. And here's what I want us to do. Um, in this prayer that is entitled the Lord's Prayer, it actually should be titled the Lord's Model Prayer uh, for us. It's a corporate prayer. You'll see it here several times where it says, Our Father, or uh, give us our daily bread. And so here's what I want us to do. As weird as it may seem, I'm going to put the words on the screen for you, and I want us to read this aloud together. Okay? Can we do that? All right. So Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, says, When you pray, pray like this. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you so much that we can call you Father. And I pray right now that you do what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will take this message and you will drive it into our hearts, that you will transform us and use this to draw us into a real, intimate, personal relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name and authority that we pray this. Amen. Most of you probably know by now that my wife and I are expecting our third child. And uh, thank you very much. Um, we are... Uh, uh, <laughs> I was a little shocked whenever I first found out. My wife, we were on our date night. We were at Outback Steakhouse, and um, she slid her phone across the table to me. She said, I want you to look at this. And I looked at this picture, and it was um, my shoes next to Megan's shoes, next to Nora's shoes, next to Wyatt's shoes, and then Wyatt's shoes were next to these little bitty white baby shoes. And I was like, wait a minute. And I look up at her and tears are welling in her eyes. And she's like, please tell me you're happy. <laughs> and I was like, I am. I'm just really shocked. And, and you know that as, a, as a, a, a father, as a dad, as a husband, you have this weight of, of now I've got another human being I'm supposed to keep alive that I'm supposed to provide for. And so, but once that shock wore off, I was really excited. And this past week we were talking about the baby, and we were laying in bed, and Megan says, I want you to do something this week with this baby um, that you've never done with our other two babies. And I was like, okay, why? She goes, I want you to talk 
to this baby. I was like, maybe I talk to our, our kids all the time. She's like, no, I want you to talk to the baby like what's in my stomach. And uh, do we have any belly talkers in here, by the way? Any dads that would talk to the belly? Luke and Matt, of course. Um, congratulations, all right? And so my wife says, I want you to talk to the belly. And I said, why? And she said, because the baby can hear you. And I was like, is there any proof of that? Like, really? And she's like, yes. And she's talking about all these websites. And I was like, okay, uh, not tonight, but like, you know, like, I will. Like, I mean, the baby, is it even the size of a seed? I don't know. Like, it doesn't, there's no way it has ears, but, but I, I will pray. I mean, I will talk to this, to this child in your belly. And so we went to sleep, and this week's been kind of rough on her. In fact, she's, she's home right now because she's been sickly. She, she usually has been sick with her other two kids, too, during the pregnancy. She's just kind of down, and so I thought, you know, it'd probably really minister to her so if I went and talked to her belly. And so, like, she was down, and she's in the living room, and I just, like, I just went to the living room, and I got into my knees, and I, uh, and I just got, I went to her belly, and I was like, okay, now what? Like, you know, like, like, what do you say? What's off limits? I don't know. And so, like, I just said, uh, hey, baby, you know, like, like, I'm your daddy, and I love you, and I look up at Megan, and she's just like, just cheesing, like, she's like, she's like, thank you so much, I feel better already, and she walks off, and I was like, I don't understand, I still don't understand the point, like, it didn't really do anything for me, it's kind of awkward, um, but here's why I share that, is because I think, I think that some of us view talking to God the way I view talking to my wife's belly, um, can't see God, not even really sure God can hear me. Um, and when I do talk, I mean, do I get on my knees? Do I not get on my knees? I mean, what do I say? What's off limits? I mean, how do I talk to this creator God who, who I can't even physically touch? And the really cool thing is today as we come to this passage, the real Jesus says, I'm going to teach you exactly how to pray. I'm going to show you how you can talk to the very one who created you, who knitted you together in your mother's womb, who, who holds you together and desires to have a relationship with you. And I want you to just notice how short this prayer really is. I mean, I would expect Jesus, who's had a perfect relationship with God from eternity to pa- eternity past, to give us this long, elaborate, crazy prayer with pages full of stuff. It'd be like, oh, that is a really holy prayer. You know, like, but look how short it is. I mean, it's what? One, two, three, four, five verses. And I began to think this past week, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like my iPhone. If you had never seen an iPhone before, you would look and you'd say, man, that, that thing is, is so simple looking. It's so little. Like, there's no way it could really do anything that powerful. But really, with one swipe of the finger, you can unlock tons of possibilities, right? I mean, you can check the weather. You can uh, get on your GPS and try to find where you need to be going. You can um, get on the World Wide Web. You can talk to people. This past week, I was in Starbucks, and I snapped a picture, and about three or four minutes later, this guy comes up to me, and he says, hey, you don't know me, but you just took a picture of me, and I was like, really? I just, I didn't think I took a picture of anybody. He's like, yeah, I'm so-and-so. I work for the fire department here in town. He said, my buddy who lives in Little Rock saw your Instagram account and said, hey, you're in a picture, and you should go talk to this guy. I know him, and so we started talking and hanging out, like all because of this phone, right? I mean, it's crazy just the power that you can unlock in an iPhone as small as it is, and, and, and the Lord's Prayer is really it's infinitely greater than that. I mean, it's, it's so short and so small, but as we dive into it, we'll see just how many possibilities and how much power it can unleash even in our 
life. And so let's look together. If you look back in verse 9, the first thing that Jesus wants us to know is this. He wants us to know the most important thing about prayer is not so much what you are praying about, but who you are praying to. Let me say that again. When it comes to prayer, the most important thing is not so much what you are praying about, but who you are praying to. And who does Jesus say we are praying to? In verse 9, he says, when we talk to God, we should address him as our Father. That's incredible to me. He doesn't say, you should address God as the sovereign king or the ruler of the universe. Though he is those things. He says, no, when you talk to God, I want you to know that he is our Father. Jesus wants us to know today that, that, that God has not just forgiven you, but he actually delights in you. That yes, he saved you and he rescued you, but when he did, he adopted you into his family, and he loves you as his own son, as his own daughter. And I began to think this past week about even my own love for my children. As my wife was away this past weekend at the women's conference, um, she left, and it was just amazing timing. Wyatt had this crazy rash, and Nora had this fever and, and something else going on, and I'm sitting there on the couch with these two sick kids, and, and one of them's snotting all over me, and the other one has this crazy rash that I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I'll get it. I'm sorry if I shook your hand today, by the way. I don't know what that was, and, and so hopefully I don't get it. But, but I'm sitting there, and I'm such a germaphobe, right? Like, y'all know this. Like, I carry Germex with me everywhere I go. Um, if you have a cold, don't come and talk to me. Like, don't come hug on me. If you do, there's going to be church discipline, right? Like, we'll talk on the phone, right, or whatever. But my kids, they're all over me, and I don't even care. I don't care. It's like, bring your snot, bring your rash, bring your, your junk, whatever you got, your cough and your croup, like, come as you are. I don't care. I'm your daddy. I love you. I, I want you with me, no matter how sick, no matter how dirty you are. And I begin to think about my crazy love for my kids and how it doesn't even compare to the love, the perfect love that the Heavenly Father has for us as His children. He wants us to, to come to him, no matter how dirty, and no matter how disgusting, no matter how weak we think we are in our prayers. I mean, even when my kids come to me, it's like they come with broken English. Like when my son, especially, who's 16 months, he comes up to me, he'll put his hands up sometimes, and he'll say, Dad, Dad, how am I here, nah, ma, nah. And it's like, he talks like a caveman. And I don't look at him and be like, you're an idiot. Like, you come back to me whenever you can say, Daddy, hold me, please, and then maybe I'll hold you. I, don't, I know what he needs, even if he doesn't say it right. And I pick him up and I love on him. And I'm like, man, this is so important. Like Jesus wants us to know that God is our Father who loves us with a perfect, unconditional love. And if you don't get this, prayer is going to be incredibly difficult for you. Some of you have the hardest time praying to God because maybe you view him as a father, but you're viewing him as you viewed your earthly father. Your earthly father had little time for you. Your earthly father was distracted most of the times when you talked to him. Your earthly father constantly was shaming you and guilting you and saying, you're a wuss, son. You should be tougher. You should be better. I mean, always wanting more out of you. Always saying you're not good enough. Always saying you need to perform more if you're going to carry on our family name. And, and maybe he, your father even ran out on your family and he just said, I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't want to take care of you anymore. And you look at this and you say, man, this must be the way the heavenly father is. You would never say it out loud, but, but honestly, in your heart, you have a hard time connecting with him, thinking that he really does love you. Or maybe for some of you, you, you know that he is his perfect heavenly father, but you think, man, he's not my father. 
right? Because there's no way he could still love me. There's no way he could still cherish me. I mean, after all I have done or have not done that he's asked me to do. But the essence of the gospel is this. It's not because of your work, but because of the work of Christ. You are now a child of God. God is not some CEO, some impersonal deity that if you want to talk to, you have to to schedule an appointment. Right? God is someone who delights to have a relationship with you because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Because of his perfect life and because of his death and resurrection, we can now stand before God as dearly beloved sons and daughters. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit for us, to remind us of of this reality. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the Bible says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That term means Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You want to know one way that you have received the Holy Spirit? You want to know how you can tell if you're walking filled with the Spirit? You begin to feel the reality, the truth of even in your darkest moments, you have a God who is your Father. And though he knows every single part of you, he loves you more than anybody else will ever love you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. The Holy Spirit helps you to feel that. To, to, to believe that. And that's the first thing we have to get this morning. The second thing that, that Jesus wants us to see about who we're talking to is he says, we're not just talking to our Father, but he says we're talking to our Father who is in heaven. I think what Jesus wants to do in this moment is he wants to remind us that God is bigger than we are. He's majestic. He's glorious. What he wants to do is he wants to create in our hearts some reverence here. You see, the, the reality is, when it comes to God, there should be, it should be an intimate relationship, but it should also be marked by reverence and respect for who He is. If you have intimacy, but you don't have reverence, you will basically have this relationship with God where it's like, He's just your little buddy. Like, hey, little guy, like, Thank you for, you know, like hanging out with me, homeboy. You know, like, here's what I want you to do for me today. Like, it's almost like he becomes your personal butler. You know what I'm saying? Like, just your relationship with God becomes very flippant and very like, well, of course God's my friend. I mean, why wouldn't he be? I'm awesome, right? Like, it's just an arrogant, creates this arrogant relationship that you have. But on the other side, if you just have reverence for God, but you don't have intimacy, it creates this really unhealthy fear. To where it's like, ooh, I could never come before this holy God. I'm so sinful and it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to come to him and bother him because he might crush me. Okay, Jesus says a healthy relationship is marked by intimacy and reverence. Intimacy plus reverence will equal a joy-filled relationship. Because here's what's happened. Whenever you have a relationship with God marked by intimacy and reverence, you come to him in prayer and you have this mindset of, I shouldn't be here. I should not be allowed in the presence of God. I mean, I know how sinful I am. I know I'm a wretch. I know that on my best days, I still deserve hell, according to the Bible, because I do not impress him. But praise be to God, because of what Jesus has accomplished, I can come now boldly before his throne. It it should create this awe and amazement in us of, uh, of, man, I deserve death. I deserve punishment. But man, I get to have this close, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe because... Jesus has accomplished everything I need to be saved and brought into this relationship with him. 
Jesus says, be reminded of who you are praying to. That's the most important thing. It's not what you're praying. The first thing you got to get is who you are praying to. But he says, when you begin to pray, verse 10, he says, pray, hallowed be thy name. What that means is that, God, above anything else, I want to magnify and glorify your name. More than I want people to look and say, I'm awesome, I want them to know that you're awesome. More than I want man to praise me, I want man to praise you. I I, I care more about your fame than I do my personal name. And, And I want you to know, like, this is the heartbeat of our church. Like, we don't really care if people walk away saying, Fellowship Bible Church is awesome. That doesn't mean that much. I mean, I'm glad when people give us compliments and and say great things about us, but ultimately what we want is for people to walk away saying God is awesome. Like, he's amazing. He's great. Because 100 years from now, guess what? Fellowship Bible Church will mean nothing to you. 100 years from now, God will mean a whole lot to you, one way or the other. And we want his name to be glorified. We want him to be magnified. That's why our mission statement is this, is that we want every man, woman, and child to have a daily encounter with the real Jesus. What does that have to do with God's glory? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 1 that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. If we want God's name to be hallowed, if we want him to be glorified, one of the greatest ways we do that is by helping people in the city meet the real Jesus because he is the radiance of God's glory glory. We should be all about spreading the fame and the glory of God in our lives, Jesus says. He then goes on and kind of builds off this idea in verse 10, and he says that we should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, in verse 10, your kingdom come. We live in a world full of kingdoms, don't we? From governments and extremist groups to two-year-olds who yell, no, Right? We have all sorts of little competing kingdoms in this world. And on top of all of these other little kingdoms that we have, the Bible says there is this kingdom of darkness that is ruled by Satan and his demons, and their only mission is to kill, steal, and destroy you. Right? Which is ultimately why we have beheadings. It's ultimately why we have broken marriages and orphans and hate crimes and addictions and greed and slavery and all of that other just crap that comes about because of Satan and his demons. Turn on the news for two minutes and you will see the world is not as it should be. We were not created, we were not created for sadness and suffering. We were created for joy and gladness. But sin has jacked all that up. When sin came into the picture, so came death and decay and destruction. But here's the good news today. King Jesus entered into that madness. He took on flesh. And in Mark 1.15, he proclaimed, The time has been fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. This is amazing. Because what Jesus said is this. When he came to earth and he opened up his ministry with that statement, he says, I have come to reclaim and restore the world. I have come to do away with death, to do away with destruction, to make everything the way that it should be. I've come to do away with all of these other broken little kingdoms that will not ultimately satisfy These kingdoms that are trying to compete with my perfect kingdom. Mike Cosper in his book, 
faith mapping says this pronouncement is Jesus' way of reminding us the world was not meant to be pockmarked with hospitals and clinics and TB wards and ghettos populated with sick, crippled, and starving and forgotten people. When Jesus announces the kingdom and begins to heal the sick and rescue people from death and cast out demons, we see what the kingdom is all about. The arrival of God's kingdom means that death and decay will not have the final victory. Amen? And through Jesus' ministry, we see the enemies retreating. When Jesus comes on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, here's what he's saying, guys, listen. He's saying, stop building your life around these broken little kingdoms. Stop placing yourself under these terrible kings that ultimately will not give you what you're longing for. Or, or, or for some of us, stop trying to be the king of your own little kingdom. Stop making life all about you and come under my rule and reign. Transfer your loyalties from the broken kingdoms of the world, from the idols of this world, to me as the only perfect king, the only one who will give you what your life, what your soul is longing for. This is what Jesus is calling us to. And when he says, pray, thy kingdom come, what he's ultimately doing is this. He's saying, when you enter into my kingdom, you are now enlisted into my kingdom work. And isn't it crazy that he says in here, pray, thy kingdom come? What that means is our prayers can help bring the kingdom of God here. Does that not blow your mind? That little old us, that our prayers can do this. When we pray this, what we're praying is Jesus. We're praying, God, I want to see your kingdom come in my heart. I want to see your kingdom come in my marriage. I want to see your kingdom come in my school. I want to see your kingdom come in my workplace, in my neighborhood. And ultimately, I want you to use me to be a part of your kingdom work. I want to be a part of advancing your kingdom right here in Paragould, Arkansas, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my workplace. And I'm so thankful that our church, that by God's grace, we're seeing this happen. I mean, we could go on and on and on with with how God is just using people in, in, in this church to show the city of Paragold a picture of the kingdom of God. I mean, even this past week, I talked about it in our Facebook group about how God has used our missional community to begin to connect with some of the skater community. And, and when I left on Sunday night, uh, Adrienne Nelson was there. She could vouch for this, and my wife was there. When I was getting in my car, one thing I told our missional community about this, when I was getting into the, my car, one of the skaters came up to me, and he said, hey, man, I just want to thank you. And I said, for what? And he said, just for everything your church is doing and for Jesus. And I said, you know, I'm about to give him this theological answer. I was like, well, I actually didn't give you Jesus. Like, God the Father sent Jesus. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, every time you come here, you bring Jesus with you. And I feel his love. And so I got in my car and Megan was like, that's the greatest compliment anybody could ever give, right? And I was like, man, I was just so humbled, just so blown away that the Spirit is using our missional community. I mean, what this young man is experiencing is this, is he's seeing the future kingdom break into the present reality. And he knows that Jesus is moving. He's experiencing a love that's beyond the love he's ever seen. He's seeing light shine into darkness. And he hasn't surrendered his life fully to Jesus yet, but I hope that the more he's experiencing the good news of the gospel and he's seeing what King Jesus is really like, he'll see he's a better king than I could ever have, than I've ever had, and that he will switch his allegiance. He will, he will surrender everything he has to Christ. And he'll experience true salvation. And it's not just my prayer for this young man, but that's my prayer for this entire city. Guys, we have so many people in Paragold walking in darkness. 
Does that break your heart this morning, by the way? Do you ever weep over the people in the city who, if they died tonight, would spend eternity in hell? Do you believe that? Like, there are people here that, like, addicted to stuff that, that's, that's killing them because they're looking for salvation. They're looking for hope. They're looking for satisfaction and something that, that's not going to help them. So many people that are, that are placing their hope in their kids or, or their money, and they might die with a full bank account, but they're going to have an empty soul. My heart is that we will see one missional community per thousand people in this city because I want to see our missional communities be these kingdom outposts where people are showing a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. By, by through the power of the Spirit, we are beginning to see the kingdom break into this present world so that more people are being delivered, so that more lives are being transformed, so that more people are coming under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that we should pray, God, we want to see your kingdom come. Is that your heart desire? We want to see your kingdom come. And then he says in verse 10 as well, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think we've hijacked this term. And we've used it to safeguard our prayers. Does that make sense? It's like, it sounds so spiritual, but we really do it because it's like, it's like, you know, we'll pray these big prayers and we'll see like, we'll say, but your will be done. It's like pray these radical prayers and like, like, we don't really think he's going to answer them, so we put your will will be done on the, on the end of it, so that way, in case he doesn't answer them, we don't look bad. So it's like, God, do all this awesome stuff, but we know you probably won't want to, so your will be done. Your will be done should be the most enthusiastic part of our prayers. Because do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying in here, yes, God wants to glorify his name. Yes, he wants to be people's father. Yes, he wants people to meet the real Jesus. He wants his kingdom to expand. He wants to see people delivered from captivity. So when we pray, your will be done, what we are saying is, God, do your thing. Do it. Do your, your will. Guys, listen. God wants to see people in our city saved more than we do. He wants to see people delivered from addictions more than we do. He wants people to enjoy him more than we want people to enjoy him. He wants to see our church to grow with new people that are coming into the kingdom. He wants to see a gospel culture created here. And so we should, with great confidence, pray, yes, God, do your will, do your thing right here in Paragold, Arkansas, for our good and for your glory. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then notice in this prayer how it shifts. And Jesus goes from us... this a super Godward focused prayer to now he brings it right to your neighborhood he brings it right to you and he begins to show us that God he does care about our needs he cares about what's going on in our life that's why in verse 11 he says that we should pray give us today our daily bread that's Jesus' way of saying that God is your provider he is a father who you can cast your cares upon because he cares for you he even cares about little things like bread. God wants to meet your physical needs. And not just your needs individually, our needs as a church. That's why he says that we are to pray, give us our daily bread. God, meet our needs. It's one of the reasons we come together as a church and we pray corporately. We're, we're coming together and we're saying, corporately, give us our daily bread. Meet our needs. God, we are in big trouble without you. You're going to have to provide for your mission. Let me just ask you this morning, Christian, do you care about the needs of these people around you? 
The first part of this prayer reminds us that we are children of God. That means these people are your brothers and sisters. That means that we should care not only about our personal needs, but also about meeting the needs of, of one another. About We should care about seeing, you know, the early church said that, that when they came together, there was not a needy person among them. I think it's because they believe this, that yes, we don't just want God to meet our needs, we want him to meet our needs. And they were willing to be used by God in order to help meet others' needs. Jesus says God cares about your physical needs, but here's what's even better. He doesn't just care about our physical needs. Verse 12 reminds us he also cares about our spiritual needs. In verse 12, he says we should pray, forgive, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's the truth this morning. You want to know one thing we all have in common? We're all sinners. We're all born sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the Bible says straight up that the wages of your sin is death. Because of your sin, you owe God death. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came and died the death that we deserve to die. Amen? And he went and he paid the penalty for our sins. And just think about how crazy this is. Because of Jesus' perfect life and his death and his resurrection on our behalf. Now, listen to this. Ready? No matter what you have done or haven't done, no matter how gross or disgusting you think your sin is, if you want to be forgiven by God right now, do you know what you need to do to, to, to be forgiven? You just ask. God, will you forgive me? And what does God do? Because of the work of Christ, he forgives you. That doesn't seem right, does it? It seems like God should say, no, I created you. You owe me a little bit more than just will you forgive me. Jump through this hoop. Clean yourself up. Be better. Try harder. Then come back, and I might just forgive you then. No, the scandalous message of the gospel is when you go because of Christ and you say, Father, forgive me, he forgives you. And you want to know how you've tasted forgiveness? Jesus reminds us that forgiven people forgive people. You don't hold grudges. Because you realize that other people's sin against you is not near as bad as your sin against God. And if God can forgive you of your sins, and you can forgive others of their sins against you. In 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's such great news. We can be forgiven, but not just can we be forgiven, we can be freed as well. In verse 13, it says, God says, or Jesus says that we should pray to God and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We've already said it's pretty clear evil exists in our world today. Whether you believe in Satan and his demons, I mean, they believe in you, and the Bible says they're going to and fro on the earth, and they're looking for people to devour. We see it all the time. Families devoured, individuals devoured, children devoured. But here's the good news. Just because evil exists doesn't mean we have to participate in evil. We don't have to be a part of it. We don't have to walk in slavery to sin. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you think there are sins in your life, and I'm just going to always be an anxious person because I'm just, that's just who I am. I'm always going to be kind of gloomy and depressed because I just came from a family that's gloomy and depressed. I'm always going to be someone that struggles with, with lust. I'm always going to be someone that just has this certain addiction because that's just who I am. I've done it for so long. I mean, God understands. No, like there is no sin that has to enslave you anymore. None. You don't have to walk with this ball and chain for the rest of your life. Like, I mean, I love the Lord. I'm just going to do the best I can with this little sin attack. Like, no, Jesus says, pray to God 
Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Isn't it amazing to know that the life God has called you to live, he will empower you to live that life. You don't have to even pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen. You can come to God and say, give me the power. Deliver me from this thing, and God will do it. He'll do it. Anybody need to be delivered from something today? Maybe something that goes on behind the scenes that no one else even knows about. You carry shame and you carry guilt over. And Satan is just beating you up and beating you up and beating you up over. Man, we can come to God and say, help me. Deliver me from evil. I don't know about you, but this week, just studying this simple prayer has just had profound implications in my life. Like, it's restored my heart towards God and, and just has given me this new faith to come to Him and know that He listens and He cares. But maybe for some of you, that's not the case. Maybe for some of you, you can hear the preaching of the Word and you can hear this and your heart is not moved. In fact, you still say, I, I don't know if God hears me. I don't know if I should talk to God. I mean, I, I mean, how can I know that when I pray, God hears me? Because let's be honest, some of you, when you pray, you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, don't you? So how can I know? How can I know that God hears me and that he cares? Here's how you can know. You ready? Listen, we're about done. Here's how you can know. Every time that Jesus addressed God, he addressed him as his father. Every time, except for once. There was one time Jesus did not call God his Father. And it's when he went to a cross, and he suffered a humiliating and excruciating death for our sin. And at the cross, when he became our sin, not just random sin out there, when he became your sin and my sin, when he became the most disgusting and vile human being to ever live in that moment, though he never sinned, he became our sin, and God poured his wrath out on sin... And in that moment, when he was absorbing the wrath of God, he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the essence of the gospel. At the cross, the Son, in this moment, was forsaken by the Father, so that you now, no matter what you have done, if you're in Christ, will never be forsaken by the Father. You will be fully accepted by God for all eternity now, no matter what you have done or where you have come from because of what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. Because of the real Jesus, you can feel the adoption as a dearly beloved son and daughter of God. And now, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, what that means, no matter even what you did last night, that even right now, God is treating you the way Jesus deserves to be treated with a perfect, unconditional, never-breaking, never-given-up love. And now, if you are in Christ, if you have become his child, you are invited into his kingdom work. He promises to give you your daily bread. It's a promise. He promises to meet our needs, to forgive us of our most shameful sins, and to free us from the slavery of that sin. And all we have to do, all we have to do, if we're not too prideful and too arrogant and too smart and too cool and too busy and too scientific and too intellectual. You have all that today. All you have to do is come to him. Just come to him in faith.
and you say, in the authority of Christ, because of what Jesus has done to me, I trust, I'm coming to you with my sins as I am, and I believe you hear me, that you care and you stand ready to answer my request for my good and your glory. I'm going to ask our band to come forward and those that are helping with communion to come forward and help prepare the elements. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to spend some time now going to this Father in prayer and worshiping him together through another song in communion. Father, we come to you and, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. I thank you for saving my own soul. I thank you that there was a time where I would hear the preaching of your word and I would look and I would say there was no way anybody could have a personal, intimate relationship with the creator. And yet, by your grace, the power of your spirit, you have awakened my own soul and my own heart to experience you. And that's my prayer this morning for the person here who yawns at your cross, who does not feel you near, who is not blown away by the good news of the gospel. Maybe the person here who, who carries guilt and who carries shame, who is still trying to perform, who is still trying to, to build their life around themselves rather than you, who's still trying to be king, still trying to be ruler, still trying to be the lord of their own life, of their own finances, of their own marriage, of their own time. Would you just waken them up to realize how stupid that is? Because so many people are, are blinded by the enemy, blinded by sin, believing that, that there are things in this world that are going to satisfy them. But if they could just do an honest assessment of themselves, they will see it's not working. And so I pray right now, Father, that you'll be gracious to us, that you will help us to see you as you really are, that you will help us to believe that Jesus is the perfect, one, true, good, right King who has come to give us everything that we've been longing for, has come to forgive us of our sins and free us from everything that is pulling us down. And so I pray right now. I pray for the person that's here that maybe doesn't know you personally, that this will be the day where you will stir their hearts, you will quicken them, you will awaken them, you will regenerate them, and they will begin to follow you. They will give their lives to you. I pray for each person here today, God, that you will give us a new, fresh joy as we think about who you are and what you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.